What are you doing? The rest of your life North and south and east and west of your life I have only one request of your life That you spend it all with me All the seasons and the times of your days All the nickels and the dimes of your days Let the reasons and the rhymes of your days All begin and end with me I want to see your face in every kind of light In fields of dawn and forests of the night And when you stand before the candles on a cake Oh, let me be the one to hear the silent wind you make those tomorrows waiting deep in your eyes in the world of love you keep in your eyes I'll awaken what's asleep in your eyes It may take a kiss or two Through all of my life Summer, winter, spring and fall of my life All I ever Well, you know that's one of the great songs of the uh, Western canon by Frank and Marilyn Bergman, and the music is by um, Michel Legrand, and the rendition there is by Scott Walker. What are you doing the rest of your life? And I'm really uh, offering this podcast as a kind of um, apologia of vitae suae, although that's not exactly what it is. It's more like a kind of um, my Sharona... Ultimately, it's uh, this. This were the last podcast I ever 
published, I believe I'd be grateful. And it may well not be, just like a concluding tour by The Who. It, 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 there's no such thing. But nevertheless, I see it as a kind of envoi, and I'd like to give it in those terms in the short time I have. And the title for the book cast is um, One Toke Over the Line, Sweet Mary, song by Brewer and Shipley, because I think I go in this one toke over the line in terms of diagnosis and one toke over the line in terms of solution. In other words, this is as extreme as I can possibly make it. And the challenge for the podcast speaker is to really say it the way he sees it and feels it. Now, I want to talk, in other words, about one's concluding um, perspectives on a human life at the very verge and the ending of it. I've been working on a manuscript, A View from the Verge, and um, I'm looking uh, over the Jordan uh, from the delectable mountains or from the slough of uh, truth as I see it about my own life, and I'm looking at the distant uh, panorama of uh, what lies beyond, and it's that that I wish to talk about. In a movie entitled Defending Your Life by Albert Brooks from like 2002 or three or something like that, a movie that has a lot to be said for it and things that no one would um, listening to this podcast would probably agree with, that doesn't matter. It's very perceptive and very, um, I guess, clever. In a big capital C, and at one point the lawyer in purgatory, the afterworld known as Judgment City, which is really a purgatorial intermediate stop between where we have been and where we are going after death, uh, says to the uh, hapless uh, and befuddled and uh, bewildered um, uh, hero played by Albert Brooks, he said, the people down there on the earth, they only use 5% of their brains at the most. He said, we, we actually, he actually, I think, calls them at one point the no brains, uh, very contemptuously. I think that happens. But um, uh, what I do remember from the movie is that he says that um, here at least you can use maybe something more like 50% of your brain. And what he means is that when you're in the body in this world, uh, as we all are who are speaking and who are listening, um, we are so completely unaware of what's really going on that it's, it amounts to 5% at the most. And that's even for people who who are really, really intelligent, like James Gould Cousins. This um, uh, Envoi podcast wants to ask you, the listener, what in the world are you actually thinking you're doing? Really? I mean, actually. Because the fact is that what we do as human beings in this world is about 99.9% completely futile. Let me repeat that. You're going to say, oh, he's overstating it. Well, I'm telling you what I really think. It's certainly backed up by the movie where it says 95%. But let's just uh, say it's somewhere between 95 and 100%. You don't see anything. Uh, in the movie, the fellow buys a BMW, and he thinks that's important. And uh, that is about number one, 10,082 on the list of things that are important that he's ever done. And what I think is the <clears throat> beginning of wisdom, in addition to the fear of the Lord, which this very diagnosis produces, is that 
everything we're doing is um, everything, all of it's driven by a false anxiety and false impatience and false drives of many sorts or another, and uh, uh, it invokes great sympathy, certainly on yourself when you see it, but literally everything you do professionally, everything you're doing in the way of your so-called career, I've got a great friend who was very successful in journalism in a way, in a way, <clears throat> and had a high-profile job somewhere, and he wrote me, he said, well, I'm looking back on my so-called career, he was seeing it exactly as it was, which was a bunch of nothing. And uh, that goes for every repetitive uh, circular activity you ever did from shopping to the dishes to laundry to uh, almost everything that involved your waking hours, let alone your sleeping hours. It was 95 to 100% um, un- um, uh, clear about what it was and was therefore a fatuous, repetitive exercise in complete meaninglessness. Now that, I believe, and you can put it where you want to, but I believe if you don't see it, you're in severe trouble and it will hit you after you die. The next uh, great sort of interesting truth of life is that when you look at your life, <clears throat> you see, as I've tried to say before, and I actually have the play in my hand right now, you'll be thinking about um, Terence Radigan's play, The Flare Path. Actually, it's just called Flare Path, and in it, uh, the metaphor from World War II, when it was written right in the middle of the Battle of Britain, is of, uh, of flares that are put out at night to allow the returning British bombers from <coughs> bombing raids over Germany and Holland and France to to uh, to land, and as soon as the flares uh, lead the pilot uh, down into the RAF uh, field, they are then immediately extinguished, and there's great danger, and there's the only way. Flare path says that you have got to return to a lit path. You don't know what you're doing. In order to land properly, it has to be lit. You have to light up the, fl- the flares, light up the path, the only way that you can land. However... <clears throat> As the play very uh, brilliantly uh, points out, it's very dangerous because at that time there were uh, uh, German fighters circling all over these places in England. And as soon as the flares were lit, if a German fighter were nearby, he could uh, quickly tear in there and shoot down the returning bomber. It happened all the time that a returning bomber, uh, guided by the flares, was in fact the victim of the very flares that were lit to help him land, uh, by which the German uh, Messerschmitt could come and shoot him down at the last moment happened all the time and many many people were killed British flyers and the flare path is dangerous so the fact is in life what you're trying to do you're constantly trying to find a place to land um, be, almost always has to do with love sex of course is the beacon of love or the carer or the barrier of or the bearer of love for um, most men and and for almost everybody in some form or another but what it is actually illuminating is the tremendous hunger for connection and love that we all have witness so that great song by John Sebastian, Magical Connection. Everybody wants it. Everybody's looking at it. Very few people have it. When you want it, keep it. You usually lose it, and you think about it for the rest of your life, and that's the flare path. However, the trouble with finding, uh, with looking for where the flares are as you try to find a place to land is you're very vulnerable because you may, in fact, be... um, be landing in a place where something else can come and destroy you. And that's why so many attempts to find help and healing are mined with um, bombs and with underground explosives because um, you misdirect or misconceive what it is that will help you. You think it's the thing that will help you, and it will in fact help you, but not enough. And you're so vulnerable when you try to land on that somewhat misconceived landing field where the flare and the light is that um, you're very vulnerable 
all to the to the landing going awry. So uh, men who believe the answer isn't the other woman, uh, you're very, very vulnerable. Uh, people who believe that the answer isn't having more money and are wanting to, for very good reasons, but, uh, you may believe, <clears throat> who want to take it and rob it are very, very vulnerable. Anytime you see something that you think will be the answer to your desperate need to land as a person of hungry longing for love, it's very, very likely, because you know so little, 5%, that you will land in the wrong place, or more importantly, that as you try to find your way to that light, you get a little off course and someone else comes in and shoots you down. And that happens to almost everybody in their lives. So flare path is my second point. Now I'm moving right along. What um, um, occurred to me uh, to be able to tell you, and this was uh, on the basis of an experience I had on the 29th of January, where I had a um, the, the second of three uh, bona fide religious visions that I've had in my life. On the 29th of January 2015, I had the second of three bona fide visions, as far as I'm concerned, real religious visions in my life. Certainly, it, this is probably the, 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 the second or first most powerful. And I don't need to go into the details except to say that the um, the uh, uh, what I saw, I, I was in a kind of a uh, kind of a Oh, almost a trance, or probably that's not the right word. I was in some kind of a relaxed state in which I suddenly beheld the immediate aftermath of my death. And uh, I won't say what else I saw, because I saw quite a bit, but I did see myself. And I looked down upon myself, having just died, and um, I was absolutely and completely uh, despondent. I was very much the character of the uh, of uh, Lazarus, uh, sorry, no, of Dives, the so called rich man in the parable of Christ in Luke, who uh, is dead and now sees the era of his ways and his uh, personality formation and is desperate to find a way out. And he's given the message very tragically that there is absolutely no way, or actually his uh, his better half, Dives, the beggar up in the bosom of Abraham, is given the message by Abraham that there is no way, uh, that there is a barrier, impassable fix between um, between the state of the um, of, um, of bliss where the beggar now is Lazarus and the state of desolation and alienatedness and abandonment and aloneness which the once rich man Dives finds himself and I was there in the vision I saw myself there <clears throat> and there was a plasticine like in the Beatles song there was a plasticine yellow kind of plastic barrier between me and that which I wanted, which was the way forward of bliss, hope, and good, you might say, where um, Lazarus is. And uh, it was completely, I, I could shout it through it. I uh, tried to get through it. It was impassable. I saw what was going on on the other side, the good things, but I couldn't get there. And they, uh, at one point, uh, an attempt was made to reach me from the other side, and the attempt completely failed. And that was the vision. Now, the plus of the vision was, and I told a a clergyman I know very well, and asked him to say, could you give me a job to, to speak this message? I, I was a little like Scrooge in The Ghost of Christmas Future. I was given the most horrific vision of the end of my life and my being, and yet, because I was seeing it, obviously I wasn't it, and uh, I was told by someone on my side of this terrible, terrible vision, sort of a nurse character, or a, or a kind of expediter, or a kind of a, a conductor, an usherette, because she was female. She said, you'll pass this way again. Just remember. 
Uh, well, when I emerged from the vision, I had passed that way, but I was back here, and I was very grateful because I realized that, like Scrooge, uh, these uh, are these shadows of things that uh, cannot be changed, or can men's uh, courses be altered? And I realized that I could change it, and I immediately felt I wanted to share that message. So, um, to conclude, I would say that on the basis of the vision, on the basis of the 5% low brain power of our current world, and on the basis of my own experiences of a flare path which was misconceived and uh, ultimately uh, in many ways uh, uh, created a scenario in which I could only be shot down by an interloping malicious fighter, I, um, I saw this vision and I realized that there were two things. There were two things, and this is what I'd like to conclude with. Uh, and then I'm going to conclude with what I hope uh, I can choose to be my favorite song of the entire history of 185 podcasts. Two things, uh, troops. One is um, you need to learn in this life how to throw a crucifix. Now, I could give a, I could do a whole podcast on the moments in movies and in uh, um, books and novels where a character throws a crucifix at an evil influence. And um, I'm enough of a Christian to believe, and I am a Christian, that uh, when it comes to the interloping Messerschmitt fighters that attack you as you attempt to find a home and a landing, but misdirectedly so, you're slightly off the path, you're slightly off kilter, and you're shot down. When it's happening, when you see in the rearview window uh, the behind you the fighter plane suddenly, rapidly closing in for the attack, you've got to throw them a crucifix. There's only one way to do it. You've got to throw them the power of Christ on the cross. Dennis Wheatley understood this as well as anyone has ever understood understood it in, in, liter- in literature, although can you really call uh, the Satanist by Wheatley literature? Well, I think you can. It has a profound meaning. Mary Morton takes her crucifix at the last minute and throws it at the uh, the goat. Um, it's actually a, the great ram who's a person and uh, completely and totally emasculates and undoes the great ram, the, the high priest of Satan. Well, you've got to learn how to throw a crucifix. This is why in this life the message of Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. And uh, there is an impassable barrier as far as your past is concerned when you place the cross between our sins and their reward, to quote an old hymn. And that is absolutely the number one lesson of this life. But the second lesson of this life is meditation. Now you'll say, oh my gosh, give me, this is so lame. No, my dear friends, it is not lame. Meditation is simply a means of getting in touch with God that is actual as opposed to romanticized or verbal or rationative. It is not something, you can't get in touch with God by reminding yourself of a given scripture. True as the scripture is, you have to meditate, which is to get to, to call a spade a spade and get out of your mind all the tremendous interference and signals that are making it impossible you to hear the message. And when you do, you are instantly in the place. And it usually takes 25 to 30 minutes for me to get to that place. And then I'm there and I can meditate another 15 minutes. Anything over 45 minutes is, is asking a lot. But um, uh, what happens with me is after 25 minutes, I successfully, in many cases, though not always, am able to throw out and dis banned and dispel the enormous um, emissions that are coming at me from all places in my mind, and I can actually be quiet enough to negate all that and listen, and really listen to what the true self and being of, uh, of, uh, of God has to tell me. And he almost always tells me something important and good, but only after that long, long work. And then, of course, you are in contact with that which you will always be in contact after you die. 
So, um, on the one hand, learn how to hurl a crucifix at the enemy. Nothing less than that will do. Of course, Peter Cushing says, well, in Asian countries, a statue of the Buddha is sufficient to be thrown at the evil. Well, I'm willing to take, I like Peter Cushing so much, and he was such a devout member of the Church of England, I believe, but let us simply say all I know is to throw a crucifix. And I have two of them. I carry one in my hand that was made in Bethlehem, and then I have one from Africa, a real live large crucifix that doesn't really fit in my breast pocket, but I throw it or need to throw it, or I have it in case I do. And then meditation, which is simply a form of uh, a technique which is brilliant, uh, allowing you to uh, be an open window to the Word of God in your life. And that is my little current version of my Sharona, and I hope you have liked it, because for me, it is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, and ultimately the one toke over the line, Sweet Mary, to whom this podcast is dedicated, which will save the day, and it only... Thank you so much for listening, and God bless.
Thank you.